You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thank you for joining me on The Partner Podcast. This podcast is focused on giving law firm partners useful and relevant information that will help them improve in their lives, grow their practices, and get more business. In terms of setting goals, it's helpful to have a clear intention with mindfulness. And in today's show, we talk about this with an expert in this area, Madeline Weiss. Madeline Weiss, based in Washington, D.C., works with attorneys and law firms as a consultant, coach, and counselor by helping them with life and career issues. Madeline is a licensed practitioner and board-certified coach whose comprehensive yet practical approach is rooted in a wide variety of techniques. In today's show, I hope you'll find some clear ideas that will help you in identifying your goals for this year with the perspective of clarity and mindfulness. So I've got with me on the podcast, Madeline Weiss, and today we're going to be talking about mindfulness-based goal commitment for attorneys. Madeline, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, hi there. It's a pleasure, and I appreciate being with you and your audience today. So tell me a little bit about what motivates your interest in working with lawyers on mindfulness-based goal commitment. I'm just kind of curious if you can kind of give us some background about your personal interest in that area. Of course. So back in the day, around 1999-ish, there was an article that crossed my desk, and it was titled, I'm being a happy, healthy, and ethical member of an unhappy, unhealthy, and unethical profession. Mm. And it was Patrick Schlitz who talked about these alarming rates of depression, anxiety, stress, substance abuse, divorce, suicide for lawyers. And studies today show that that hasn't changed a whole lot. So lawyers as a profession, it seems, are not the happy warriors. They may have started out thinking that they wanted to be along the way. I want to add to that that I know enough of them firsthand myself to know that the profession can be hard. Everyone I love just about is a lawyer. That would be my brother, my son, my son-in-law, the man I love, my Mm co-author. My daughter-in-law is a senior paralegal. My friends include a civil court judge, an executive legal assistant in a big firm. And of course, I live in D.C. where all my friends and neighbors are lawyers. And then there are, yeah. (laughs) And then there are the lawyers who are my clients. So I love lawyers. They're great. I do, too. I really do, too. I especially love the banter. I have so much fun with the banter of the lawyers, but I feel committed to helping lawyers to commit to whatever it takes to make their personal and professional goals and dreams come true so they can be happier and healthier and more productive the way they meant to be. So. Right. And that's what they've all intended when they started their Exactly. Career. Exactly. And, uh, and you're right. And these are well-intentioned people that have yep. chosen a profession filled with adversity over and over and over again. 
add to that, not just the lawyering, but also if they're partners, the selling work, getting clients and all that. Right. You just kind of brought to mind in this moment that my friend who recently retired, she was a judge. And I remember having a conversation with her. I was working at Harvard Medical School at the time, and I was in the anatomical gift program. And we were comparing that at the end of my day, I had been blessed up one side and down the other with gratitude Mm. from the people I was coming in contact with compared to, she would say, at the end of the day, somebody was always mad at her, (laughs) you know? And so I really, just through um, my close connections with people, have a a glimpse of what some of the struggles are that are different from other professions. So Indeed. And I like your approach, just the mindfulness aspect of that. And, And here we are in the new year. It's a perfect time to talk about how we can set goals and commit to them mm-hmm. for personal and professional success. And, and so for those listening, those partners that are listening, what are some of the kinds of goals that they can set for themselves? What are some of the methodologies that you've seen that are effective in helping them set those goals? Okay, so we're going to do the to-dos, which are some of the goals that can be set. And then we're going to talk about some how to set those goals. And then most importantly of all, we're going to move to what's in the way, because I have some statistics to share with you that clearly indicate something is in the way. So one area would be relationship building. So we could break business development goals into relationship building, marketing, and technology. So For the relationship building, I know you know, Scott, because I've heard you talk about it, Mm -hmm. that law is a relationship business. Right. So whether you're trying to help your own or your firm's book of business, good relationships make people feel good. And the better we feel, the better we work, the better other people will know, like, and trust us. And therefore, the more rain we can make. And then that makes us feel good. And round and round it goes. So I can't say enough how everything is connected to everything else. So this means massaging the leverage points all along the way of the relationship building cycle. Mm -hmm. All right. So that would include committing to excellence for our existing clients. After all, that's where a lot of the referrals can come from. Right. And it's not just in the deliverables, but also in the process, how lawyers listen to their clients and remember their stories and stay in touch. And then there's the building new relationships. And again, we're still talking about the what to do's, not the how to do yet. And another area in the relationship building is leadership and teamwork so that everyone who is working with you is really pulling with you. And those are all the associates, all your colleagues, other partners, referral sources, things like that, right? Right. So we've got three different buckets so far. Is that correct? Right. So the to-dos in relationship building include nurturing existing clients, building new relationships, and then working on leadership and teamwork from within. And the other things we mentioned then were marketing and technology. So for marketing, both at the level of the firm and the individual level for the attorneys, 
people want to hire somebody who is somebody, right? Or at least appears to have some expertise in whatever they're being hired. I love it. People want to hire somebody who is somebody. Yeah, right. So this is a matter of show and tell. So you want to build and maintain a strong platform. So that's like you, Inc. Mm. All right. And then for the technology, what are the opportunities in social media? And my answer to that question is overwhelming, actually. Mm. There's so many new and exciting opportunities in social media. So there's apps and there are tech services for enhanced connectivity with clients for practice management efficiencies and then for work-life balance, which brings us to personal goals. So those were the business goals with the relationship building, the marketing and the technology. But there's also personal well-being is another very important goal. Legal work is really stressful. Right. And it's essential that lawyers recharge their own batteries so they don't, like that study suggested, uh, become depressed or anxious or physically ill because then they're no good to anyone. And it's really important to nourish the relationships outside of work because, again, I can't say enough how everything is connected to everything else. So if things are bad at home, that goes to work with you mm-hmm. and get right? And gets all over your clients and your colleagues and the work you're trying to do and vice versa, of course, because if things are bad at work, it's a little harder to be fully present and sweet when when you get home. So again, it's this fine tuning as many leverage points as possible in that cycle of all things connected to everything else. But it takes more than just saying, I'm going to spend more time with my family. I want to share some of these statistics with you Sure. on the length of resolutions. So 72.6% of this population of 1,100 respondents, this was in 2017. So 72.6% of them kept their resolutions through the first week. <laughs> so right away, right away, we have... A significant drop-off. They're still at the gym. They're still at the gym right now. Right. (laughs) 72.6% of them. Past two weeks, we're down to 68.4%. Past one month, you know, so like they say, it takes 21 days to make a habit. Right. So past one month, we're down to about half. So it's like 58.4% are still in the game. They set for themselves by about a month in, and in six months, it's down to 44.8%. Now, the flip side of that is that some people are making it, but a lot aren't. So clearly, it takes more than good intentions for us to stick to our goals. So is there anything an attorney can do when they, let's just look at the relationship side of things. Okay. So besides that area, they've got And I like how you segmented into different areas, existing clients, new relationships, and leadership and teamwork. Yep. Besides the relationship side of things, are there any other categories in their lives that they need to have that intention and that mindfulness just besides that? Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that question. Just yesterday, I was working with a client, and because it's the new year, 
I did this life satisfaction wheel with her. And it has eight different areas of one's life. I'm just pulling it here. So it's money, health, friends and family, significant other, personal growth, fun and leisure, home environment, career. And what they do is they make a pie out of that and then shade in areas from completely unsatisfied to completely satisfied. And then they kind of step back from it and look at which one of these would most affect all the rest. And people very often pick health. Hmm. And in fact, this uh, woman that I'm thinking of actually did pick health because she felt that that would support her goal commitment in every other area if she felt strong and healthy and, and well. Did that address the question that you were asking? It, it did. So we've got relationships, health. Are there any other, uh, any other categories? If, a, if an attorney sitting down working on their goals, what are the outcomes I want to achieve in the different main areas of my well, life? Okay, so you bring us to the next point. You can't just say that you're going to do these things. So there's something, I don't know whether you've heard of this, a lot of people have. It's called SMART Goals. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. So for those in your audience who might not know what that is, I'd like to just kind of run through that a little bit. The cornerstone of this methodology for goal setting, and now we're into the how to set the goals. Mm -hmm. So the idea, the cornerstone of it is specificity. So the idea is that it's not specific enough to say in any one of those areas that I just read, I'm going to have, let's say, more contact with my clients, or I'm going to spend more quality time with my family, or I'm going to build my platform. The SMART goal idea stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. So specific means it can't just be aspirational. It has to be specific. So for, I'll give you three examples. One, I'm going to schedule X number of client lunches and coffees per month for the coming year. Or I am going to take my family out on a fun outing without my phone X number of times per month. Or I am going to give X number of presentations in my area of expertise this year. For the measurable part, you will notice that each each example had a number attached to it, so you can actually know whether you hit the target. I have to tell you, another client I saw yesterday told me that his um, wife says that he's grumpy at home. Oh, really? Wow. And she wants him to smile more because he's actually, he's actually not really that unhappy. He just, he just has this kind of um, way about him. And... I said, well, how many times a day do do you smile? She wants him to smile at the dog, too. I said, well, how many times a day do you do that? He he said once. So so I was thinking about smart goals. I said, okay, if if he needs a good marriage in order to do good work, and he needs to do good work in order to do good marriage, and he's not being good company either when he's networking or when he's at home, I asked him what he thought was a reasonable number to fake it till he made it. 
So he um, actually set goals for bringing positivity at work and at home. I yeah. I, I found, I remember once I walked by a mirror and I caught myself, I've got this song in my heart and I catch my own reflection and I noticed I had this scowl on my face and I realized that's just the way my face naturally hangs. And so I, I made the intention of starting to smile more and I found I became a happier person just by doing that. Well, so I can certainly relate to that. You're right on the money there because actually the science is that when we smile, We fake out the brain into thinking that we're actually really happy. And then the brain floods the being with happy hormones. And before you know it, you actually are really happy. There's, I work a lot with people by a video, a very secure video conferencing platform. So a lot of um, coaches use the phone, but I, actually like to see the people. And I was just working with someone yesterday who was in the same state or body posture that you just described. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, Charlie Brown, I don't want to work with you. Give me the other one. So, so he sat up and everything is different. The breathing is different. The sense of oneself is different. And it's just these little things that can make such a big difference in your story about noticing your own state and how quickly and easily you can alter that in a way that really makes a difference. Absolutely right. Thank you for that. Okay. So it has to be achievable, which means it needs to be possible. And then it has to be relevant. So it has to be aligned with your overarching goals If you don't think lunches are aligned with your goal, maybe the clients are too busy, they don't even want to have lunch with you, Uh or they would rather a phone call, or they're strictly business kind of people, then it's not relevant. So we need to pick some other way, like pick up the phone for clients who like the phone instead. Find out what the client's preferences are, ask them, and then the T is time-bound. So it's what, by when, by whom, and you need to know what your time frames are for yourself. Otherwise, it's too easy for things to slip and slide. Now, there's another methodology for goal setting, which is called OKR. What does that stand for? It's objectives and key results. And it's a little different from SMART goals in that with this, they relax a little on the achievable and they let you shoot for the moon so you're less constrained. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people sort of combine the two. But even so, the statistics on commitment to goals, as we just saw, are not as good as they could be. So something more is needed. And to my way of viewing it, that would be a disciplined mind, Mm. which brings us to how do we define goal commitment? So tell me then, what gets in the way when people are doing this, they give up, they are that person that wrote their goals down in January and it's March and they don't even remember what they are and they don't even know where their list is when they wrote them down. How can mindfulness help to turn that resistance into resilience for success? Okay. So goal commitment, I'm going to define as the glue that binds us emotionally and intellectually to the goals we set. This right here, the commitment aspect, 
I think is what makes or breaks the resolution in the end for one reason. People have trouble committing when we admit to ourselves that something is important. Mm -hmm. So we open ourselves up to potential failure or disappointment or embarrassing and uh, maybe losing time, losing face. On the other hand, things that take effort, willpower, and perseverance are often admired by others and can increase our own sense of competency and self-worth. So if we can use the mind to reframe that, as smaller games are also very motivating toward another game and then another game, and then little by little, you're actually there. The brain loves positive change. So dopamine surges, that's a happy hormone. The brain says, that felt really good. Let's do that again. So action is everything. There's this um, psychoanalyst, Alan Willis, who wrote a book decades ago, I think I read it, and it's called How People Change. And I was so delighted. It actually changed my approach to helping people forever. His answer to how people change is they just do. So no matter how much we sit there in analysis paralysis and think about what a good idea something might be, if only this or that, and we're waiting for the grand insights or the right time, most of us working with people now that I know, I think, believe more in a do something and see what happens. Isn't that interesting that it's just taking action steps and walking forward? And that's Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. What was yeah. The, the person's name that you mentioned again? His name is Alan Wheelis, W-H-E-E-L-I-S. It's an old book. I forget what year it was written. And it's a little book, but it changed my life. That's great. <laughs> because I was formerly a very, very classically trained psychoanalytic psychotherapist. So this book from a psychoanalyst really made a difference for me. So basically, what's in the way is the undisciplined mind. The Buddhists say that the mind's like a bunch of drunken monkeys. Right, right. And someone else I know said the mind is like a two-year-old who's winning, (laughs) which I think is great, too. I love it. I love it. That's great. So, Madeline, you've given us some great nuggets here, some great action steps some real tangible ideas that people listening can take action on. What are some examples of real life interventions when you work with your clients? So maybe you can kind of give us some, some real wins that people have achieved by doing some of the things that you've suggested. Sure. I want to give your listening audience a little nugget of an exercise that is, consists of only three breaths. Can we do that? Sure, absolutely. Will you do that with me? Absolutely, I will. Wonderful. Okay, so it's called polyvagal breathing. And then I will address the question about the actual examples, but I didn't want to leave without doing this. Okay, so the polyvagal nerve runs throughout the body up to the brain. Mm -hmm. And what happens is a lot of our actions are from the lower brain. And we don't want to be making decisions and taking actions from that part of the brain. So what we want to do is kick it upstairs Mm -hmm. so that the lower brain can say, I either do or don't like what's going on here. 
What do you think? And then the higher brain can say, let me think about that. I'll take care of it. Thank you for letting me know. So the way, the way that you can kick it upstairs, you can do this anywhere, anytime. Nobody even knows you're doing it. Okay. Um, is this three breaths. So we talked already, Scott, you and I, about sitting up nice and straight. Yep. Yeah. I always um, like to say, assume the posture of the life you want to lead and the person you want to be. And then what's interesting and important about this breathing is that on the in-breath, the belly goes out. And on the out-breath, the belly goes in. I found that very awkward myself at the beginning, and now it's second nature to me because of practicing. So let's just try that once. Okay. I'm right here. Okay. Just try that once and see if you can make that work for you. So when you breathe in, your belly goes out. And when you breathe out, your belly comes back in. And that stimulates the polyvagal nerve. So if you want to, did that work for you? I think so. So tell me then, what's the significance of that? How is that going to help me or somebody else listening? Because when you stimulate the polyvagal nerve, it takes it out of the lower agitated, hyper-anxious lower brain, and it kicks it upstairs to your more rational, higher-thinking brain center. So it can really relax you then? Well, it makes you clearer, and it makes you smarter. Hmm. So we take the signal from the lower brain that says there's something to pay attention to here. And then we kick it upstairs because we don't want the lower brain making decisions and taking actions. We We want that from the higher brain. So if you do what we just did three times in a very luxurious full breath Uh with the belly out on the in breath and the belly in on the out breath, most people say that that actually changes their state. Well, that's It's It's a good thing to do when you're switching from one task to another or or before or after you go into a meeting, just to mark that you have ended this now and you are beginning that now. That's a great tip. That's a really good idea. Clear the brain. Yeah. I always feel that if people take away nothing else, I want them to have that because that just works for so many things. I recommend all those skeptics listening, test it. And measure it and see if that makes a difference for you. Keep an open yeah. mind to new things. Yep. yep. It certainly doesn't cost anything to try something like this. Okay. So I did a managing your mind workshop for a law firm. And I also have an organizational politics workshop that people really like. Interesting. But yeah, for this one, I did the managing your mind. And it was basically a mini tutorial with this quick start, easy and fun brain fitness exercises, a little like the one we just did to help people get a grip on their monkey minds. Uh 50 attorneys showed up voluntarily and the office manager told me that she'd never seen them so mesmerized. She said, usually they're so hard and rude to the speaker that they drive the speaker out of the room. She (laughs) She said they hung on your every word. And I said, of course they did, because they could see for themselves through the exercises that we were doing, what their own minds were doing and how ridiculous that can be. And they, so they could finally take charge. So the office 
was in a, um, it was highly stressed about a relocation and territorial issues of who's going to get what office. And I heard in the end that things went very well. And the managing partner also told me that he's got his whole family doing this polyvagal thing together. So it improved his home life too. And then for a more individual example, we'll call him Will, came to me with relationship and revenue worries. And he became an executive coaching client of mine. And he was very surprised to find inside his mind this voice telling him how undeserving of success and love and work he was. He had no idea. Well, a lot of people have no idea what's actually what all the self-talk is. So now he realizes he's no good to anyone at all if he can't afford to support himself and the people he loves. So he uses mindfulness to override the negative self-talk now that he knows that it's there. And he's built a website and is actively networking and speaking and volunteering and referral rich organization. That's great, Madeline. I I think that in itself might be a solution for many people listening, not that particular issue, but just understanding mindfulness and how that might unlock what they've been wanting to find for quite some time. Well, coaching calls like gremlins. It's something inside of you that you don't know very much about that's actually sabotaging. And all we need to do is know that that's there. You don't even need to remove it. You just need to know that that's there, however it got there. And when it happens, you can say, oh, that again, and let it come and let it go. Well, Madeline, you've given us some great ideas today. And I know that what you do can help a lot of people. Tell us about the offerings that you have, the work that you do, whether it's one-on-one or law firm retreats, and how can people find you? And of course, we'll put the links on the show notes as well. Okay. Okay. So people can go to MadelineWeiss.com. I'm going to spell that. Okay. M-A-D-E-L-A-I-N-E-W-E-I-S-S, all one word, dot com. And there's a a contact page there. People would like me to, if they want to be on the mailing list or they want me to send them some exercises, you can contact me there. And I work with groups. I work with individuals in executive coaching. And um, it's a pleasure. Well, Madeline, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you for all your great content. And I wish you the best of luck this year. And thanks again for everything that you've shared today. Well, thank you too. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.